All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, You guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. Everybody, welcome to Matty P presents Saturday Morning Serial. I'm Grim Shea, and joining me is Marky. Say hi, Marky. Hello, everybody. I uh, I know you went out and caught a movie this uh, yeah. this week. Yeah. Well, there's there's been a couple of huge movies. That's true. Well, yeah, we're we're they're kind of winding down the summer blockbuster season. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're putting out all the late hits. Yeah. Uh, but in back to back weeks, you've had two surprises. Uh, you've had the highest grossing uh, August weekend ever in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep, yep, that's a big one. Right. And then following that, yeah. $80 million, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, reboot. they got they got turtle power still. <laughs> turtle power, yeah. Yes. It's still it's still viable. You know, it's still out there. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, what and what a franchise. This is what the fifth movie, right? I haven't um, seen it yet. You you have though, you claim. Yeah, I just I went um I really couldn't find anybody to go with me. Uh and I went by myself. And you know, got a got a large popcorn, big coke, knocked them down. Uh, just enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was good. Yeah, yeah. So you're recommending this one? This is this is worthy of its blockbuster status. Yeah, I liked it a lot. The there was. Uh, if you like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, if you had the toys, watch the cartoons, whatever. If you read the comics, you're gonna like the film. Yeah, there's there's a lot of history to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They it, they they've been through a lot of iterations, but mm-hmm. they've been picking up fans. Since uh, what, uh, 1984, I think. Which hey oh, 30 Whoa. years. That's 30 now. years. Wow. Yeah. The you know that particular year is the big one. It's the same year that Transformers was on the TV. It was the same year that GI Joe was on the TV. And yeah, Turtles was I think in comic form at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It started out as a pretty as a very adult comic, a graphic back then. novel. Yeah, a graphic yeah. novel. Yeah, I don't even know if they called them that back in the eighties. Yeah, I think they did. Maybe but, so. Uh, I don't know. It was something other than comic book. You know, it, there was nothing funny about it. Nothing cute about the turtles. Yeah, no, not really. No, not in there. But uh, after it became this this runaway like independent comic hit, uh, the rights to the toys. Uh-huh. Got sold, mm-hmm. and that's when it really kind of took off. Because first they start designing the toys, and they say, "Well, we're going to need a hook. This is, you know, the late '80s. How do you sell? How do you sell new action figures? Bam, you make a cartoon." Ah, see, and that was relatively new phenomenon back then. Yeah, it Very, was right. I think I think uh, by and large, a lot of the toys uh, based on on cartoons back then. The cartoon came first, right? And then they said, "Hey, we can make some merchandise and mm-hmm. money." This this is another example of how it was the other way around. Right. They well, had to move some toys. Yes and no, because the comic did come first. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the what what I have learned recently 
is that uh, because the comic book was a black and white comic book, there was only one color on the cover and it was red. Um, when they came out with the toys, that is what uh, instigated Donatello wearing purple, Michelangelo wearing orange, yeah, you know, Leonardo wearing blue, you know, because you had to make the toys. It's going to be the same mold. You know, yeah. it's kind of what He-Men were doing. It's basically the same body on all of them, but yeah. you would change the skin tone a little bit, and then you put a different color, you know. Um, so these are things that kind of – one thing kind of drove the other, and it molded it into the turtles that we that we know today uh, yeah. and the film that I just saw. Uh, but one of the things that always, always caught me off guard was in – how they were popular to begin with. And um, this is an idea. I, I remember being in a uh, arts, uh, uh, this was in middle school. And I remember being in one of the art classes and my art teacher, we were kind of going over the differences between uh, sculpting and painting and why, you know, all the, I was doing a sculpture and it took forever and it was really hard. It actually came out good. But um, why the paintings get so much money why, why they're worth so much and sculpting which looks harder should get more but it doesn't and it was that's what we were talking about and she actually brought up look at these ninja turtles the guy who's molding the plastic for this turtle doesn't get paid anything it's the guy that thought this up that's the guy who's you know that's that's where the money is and you know my art teacher taught, taught me that taught me the 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 economics of of fine art Oh yeah, yeah you know through Ninja Turtles. That's why Eastman and Laird are just rolling in cash. <laughs> I know. Well, it's true. Look at uh, look at the guy who uh, made the uh, Simpsons. I mean, that guy's loaded. Look at yeah. Seth 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 McFarlane. He's loaded. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys are just yeah. That's where the money is. It's the concept of making this thing up. I was at the age that the turtles were. I was kind of not buying toys at the time. You know, well, I was probably nine. Well, this is this yeah. is uh, you know as you mentioned there in 1984 there was already uh, GI Joe Transformers. Right. A lot of these cartoons that we talk about that we remember, mm-hmm. a lot of the and and a lot of the clips you heard at the beginning of the show in our intro, a lot of those came out of the early 80s, late 70s, yep. uh, and that's when I was getting up at six seven in the morning on Saturdays mm-hmm. because that's where you found the cartoons. Yeah, uh, but then. In the late 80s, early 90s, and this is when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the show, came out. And the whole cowabunga, eating pizza. These were the early after-school cartoons. Right. There was a transition. I was getting a little too old. I would rather sleep in on Saturday mornings. I wasn't making it to all the commercial or the uh, cartoons anymore. But I I was old enough now to be a latchkey kid. So just in the nick of time, the advertisers figured out, I think, that I would go home four or five days out of yeah. the week and by I yourself. would have to sit there by myself waiting for my parents for a couple of hours. Uh-huh. Oh, what a baffo sacco time to put on some cartoons again. <laughs> well, you're definitely not doing homework. Yeah. You know, that's not well, that's happening. Pretty unlikely. Pretty <laughs> unlikely while I'm there alone. Yeah. So they're very smart. I would sit there and I would I would yeah. pour my Rice Krispies into a bowl, load load it with sugar. Uh, at 3.30 in the afternoon yeah. and spend another hour and a half, two hours watching cartoons because that's that's how they knew. They knew we were growing up. Right. And they knew to start spreading the commercials around. I mean, the uh, the cartoons, which were there to sell things more and more, which was fine by me. And I remember uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was one of those first ones that was made just for after school. 
Uh, also, like the uh, – you remember the old Mario Brothers uh, show? Yeah, absolutely. Like with uh, Captain Lou. Uh-huh. Captain Lou. Um, live action and cartoons, uh-huh. serialized stuff, very cheap, but obviously just, just to get me – it was to buy Nintendo Power. It was basically like a Captain Kangaroo show. I mean, it was that kind of low budget. They were mm-hmm. they were introducing stories, teaching morals, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But bring yeah. on like a semi celebrity guest every week. Exactly, exactly. And and you know, like they also fighting for our attention at that moment during those years. And we're in the we're we are in our late thirties. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's this is the age group. Um. And fighting for our attention was also the Nintendo Entertainment System during 1984. Yeah, home video games. Right, that was were, a big were, thing. Were and if making a footprint, and if yeah. your parents weren't home, they're not telling you. I'll oh, put that, turn that thing off, and go play outside. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're out they're out working. We're kind of in charge of of ourselves. So we had in those era uh, in 84, 85, probably to 87. There was a time we were coming home. There was no parents around. We're fixing our own sandwiches, bowls of cereal, watching our own cartoons, or playing Nintendo. But one of the the other thing that was happening for me was that I was starting to grow out of the toy buying and playing, really. Yeah. Like, I'm not playing with toys anymore. And it was around that time, that's when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys started to come out. I remember my younger cousin... Uh, he had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He had the VHS. He had the toys. And, you know, he would come over, like, on the weekends or whatever, stay with us. And he had these toys. And I remember just thinking to myself, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Mm. I remember thinking, that's 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 kind of stupid. Yeah. It's, you know? It sounds like just a bad joke the right. first time you hear it, right? I couldn't yeah. believe that it existed. But, hell, if I didn't give it a chance. Mm. You know? I mean, and it was hard to not like them i was already too old to like get into the buying the toys for playing yeah i, I don't think i ever I had any other toys i don't think i ever did i i i can almost definitely say that i did not but i do remember being excited about the show mm-hmm. and i remember being excited about the very first movie yep and they had uh, and they had video games yep that i was all about one of the best uh four person oh the arcade, arcade game yeah the we yeah, shot like so that. many quarters in that thing. Probably the, twenty dollars a visit. <coughs> me and my friends. And yeah, my and that and that was the that was a huge money maker uh-huh. for a while. I remember that down yeah. at the arcades. They would have two or three of those, and they were easily the biggest, most unwieldy. I'm sure most expensive machines. Yeah. arcades could buy. Yep. But there were kids lining up at them. We loved them. I think it was the undisputed champ until maybe Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter came along. But well, and I think that that kind of speaks to uh, – I don't know if I'm going to use this word correctly, but the archetype that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, fulfills. I don't know if I'm using that correctly, but, I'm, uh, you know, like these characters, the four of them represent a different quality trait. Um, their weapon choice uh, has to do with, you know, Donatello's the smart one. So he has the staff, which is a passive, you know, kind of weapon. It doesn't kill anybody. Well, unless you really whack him. But, you know, like things, things like that. Oh, he, you know? he broke a few robots. I remember that. Leonardo's the leader. So he has the katana blade. Which is the you know the most eloquent of fighting weapons? Raphael is always battling Leonardo for position in the group, and he has the sai, 
which are weapons against the katana. And then the nunchucks are those are those are wacky. And well, you gotta have you gotta have you gotta have nunchucks. Yeah, so, <laughs> you, you had so, to have some nunchucks in a group. But those those qualities, when you put them in a video game, they were excellent. They were fun to be a part of because you and your friends can all participate, and and yep. you could represent these different things. You could play with the toys with these different parts. You can find your, you know, which yep. one do you relate to? And when you're watching the movies, again, same thing. These things just nail it. Thirty years later, we are still talking about it. And yep. 30 years later, we're still watching well, movies. And, and they were – and like I said, they they were coming out just a little late for me, me to too. be a kid like with my G.I. Joe and Transformers and, and, and GoBots mm-hmm. phase. But the cultural phenomena, they managed to saturate enough other markets, yeah. and they got me. Yeah. Uh, and they knew that I was getting older, I think. I, I don't know who told them. <laughs> but it happens. But yeah. but yeah, they they were able to keep up with me. If they had just thrown out some toys and put on a Saturday morning cartoon show, I wouldn't have been impressed. I wouldn't have gotten hooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with uh, you know, like and like I mentioned before, like the Mario show. Yeah, it was kind of a a new like, hey, let's put live action and cartoons about video games, and let's do it four yeah. days a week in the afternoons for kids because they're getting older and they're watching right. watching cartoons then instead. Uh, and they got it. They, they I mean, I, I would have had a Nintendo and played Mario Brothers anyway. Right. But this was still something I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to make sure I'm home from school to see this mm-hmm. stuff. It was it was the growing up of Saturday morning cartoons. Absolutely. I would say, you know, growing up's a little strong. It was the Saturday morning cartoons Culture. heading into their tweens, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it was a uh, graduation off the couch. Yeah. You know, because, we, we kind of- yeah, to say growing up. Which you kind of could say, these things have grown up now, mm-hmm. just as we are grown up. Uh, in in fact, I talked to this was some time ago, but I talked to uh, Evan Evan Doherty, mm-hmm. who wrote the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that you went and saw with Megan Fox. With Megan Fox, yes, in fact, yes, and you can thank him for that right now if you want. I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, and uh, and and here's a he. He wrote uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. Uh-huh. If you remember that a I few years that. ago. Yeah. Very dark take on a classic fairy mm-hmm. tale. Uh, and he also did, when I sat down and talked with him, he had just released these four short films oh, I saw these. about the Mario Brothers. Fantastic. And they were, they were dark. They were yeah. gritty. They were live action. And they, uh, they, they were a thinking man's yeah. excursion in, back into that world. This is a guy who knows how these properties can grow up and become adult. Exactly. And I love talking to him about that. In fact, let's let's listen in on this. He'll tell us a little bit about the Mario stuff and, you know, we'll get a little info about the uh about the movie itself for those of us like me and and some of the rest of the world who haven't seen it yet. Magic interview machine, take us away. Give me Evan Doherty. Meanwhile, and Evan, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, excited, excited to talk. Oh, perfect. Because I have, uh, uh, I don't, uh, I don't know all the specifics on this, but I've seen all four of the four players' videos now. I love them, and I think every, uh, anybody who bothers listening to us is, would love this too. You want to tell us more about them? Awesome. Well, that's. Uh, I'm glad you do. Yeah, I, I will. I, I've. I've been a kind of Hollywood screenwriter uh, for the last, oh, four or five years and have had 
a lot of fun doing that and, and still have a lot of fun doing that. Worked on some some move some some big movies that have actually been made. Uh first movie that got made was called Snow White and the Huntsman. Uh well, kind of a big Stuart and Charlie Theron. Yeah, a couple couple people, couple people. <laughs> um which was cool. Uh and a couple other things coming out got uh, a Ninja Turtles movie and a G.I. Joe movie, so I'm sort of reliving my 80s childhood memories through through cinema, which is cool, but that kind of loops into to these shorts. I, I, had, I, I have been doing screenwriting for a long time, and it's very fulfilling, but at the same time, what you kind of learn after some years of doing it is, is a lot of the sort of horror stories that they tell about the Hollywood screenwriter are sort of are sort of true. You're kind of the low man on the totem pole. You know, you 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 know you you have to sort of compete with a lot of other voices in the creative process, and that's all part of being a Hollywood screenwriter. And and I accept it and enjoy it. But I wanted to, you know, almost for fun or to sort of prove that I could do it, do something that was kind of where I was sort of the the main creative. Uh, author of them. So, uh, yeah, I, I wrote up uh, little short films, uh, each about three minutes long, it, where I sort of uh, did a, a sort of different kind of re-envisioning of four characters from, you know, one of my favorite mythologies growing up as well, uh, you know, which is the Super Mario Brothers universe. So I took Mario, Luigi, Princess Peach, and Toad and kind of spun the kind of darker, grittier versions of, of those four characters. Um, so those are the four shorts that are that are out there now, and they're they're only three minutes each, so it's very easy to just consume them quickly, just over... You know, yeah, that's over your coffee that's what I did. Whatever. Yeah, about, cool, about fifteen cool. minutes sitting in front of the computer, and they, uh, I think I even watched them in the uh, in the more or less order they were released on uh, on cool. Polaris, and uh, yes. I, I'm guessing they were kind of intended that way because there is such a buildup. Uh, yeah, they just, were very much designed to be. I mean, the nice thing is you can watch them in any order, and I think some people have watched them out of order, but. From sort of straight from the horse's mouth, the order that they were intended to be kind of released is Mario first, then Luigi, then Princess Peach, and then finally Toad. And they do sort of build and in, in scale uh, and sort of intensity as they go. Ooh, see, I think well, I think I saw a Toad right before the princess. Yeah, um, a lot of people are doing that. I'm interested. I'm, I'm I'm curious as to maybe that is the way that Polaris put them out into the world, and that's a perfectly fine way to do it. But I feel like the Toad, if you watch Toad, Toad gets pretty sort of epic in scope as well. I think probably the most epic, but not a bad way to watch uh, it. I think, and personally, I think my favorite moment would be right there at the end of Toad's uh, little snippet, the one-up mushroom. Yes. Yes. You know, yeah, one, no, of, that, one of the only good, images uh, unchanged from the, uh, you know, from the, from the canon of the that's game. right. That's right. We, I we love wanted that, that to be a, a a cool moment. Well, there's a, a couple of cool things about that. Is you know, one thing we I wanted to do was have a kind of parallel structure in all these shorts, and and they all sort of climax with a character 
sort of getting some version of one of the famous kind of power-ups from the Mario Brothers mythology. So Mario yeah, uses yeah, the regular mushroom, stuff. Luigi got fire flower, Peach has an invincibility star, and Toad has that one-up mushroom, which hopefully is a cool, cool moment. That, that was, and I well, and I think uh, just to just to have that little note in there to kind of tie it back down because, admittedly, only three minutes long, but just visually you can't mistake it you know for uh that's great for no, that's a Mario good. That's thing, but that's it is be, so uh, changed and yes. uh and i yes. guess, well, I guess you're kind of uh you're kind of known for uh making making these uh these original ideas you know bringing out the darker grittier side to them uh and that's you did it correct. to a t to a t for these and i Thank want you. and i'm sure everyone's asking but are you gonna find it in you somewhere down the line to put together a big, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say movie or feature, but, you know, a longer short film? That's a good question. There's been a lot of different, a lot of different sort of things that have been talked about, uh, you know, on the, on the, on the uh, message boards and, and on the YouTube comments about what, what we may be doing in the future. I think, you know, uh, on the first point, I think Nintendo and the movie industry had such a big schism after that original Mario Brothers movie that I don't know if a Mario Brothers movie is going to be made by anyone in, in, in the near future. But but uh, but I will say though it would be a lot of fun to uh, to do maybe maybe a longer form short or I mean I kind of like him like these and they're kind of very small consumable snippets so you know it might be fun to kind of continue and do more in this spirit you know one thing we talked about is do you pick four villains and do a take on four villainous characters from the mario brothers mythology which might be an interesting way to go but it would be fun to continue it on for sure oh we i i would like to see more and if it's just a matter of uh getting polaris to give you money i will keep watching them i'll just keep them on thank you Yes, we'll it would be great. <clears throat> yes, let's do it. Make it happen. All right. Well, uh, since since we got a nice taste right there of, of how dark and gritty you can uh, you can make our childhood uh, pathos. Uh, All right. Wh- what are we looking for in your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Is this going to be dark as well? Because I'm getting excited thinking that. Yes. Uh, Ninja Turtles is going to be, I would say, definitely it's going to feel very real world. Uh, I would, <clears throat> I would go so far as to say gritty. You know, dark is is perhaps a a a bridge too far in terms of how you would describe a new Ninja Turtles movie. But you know, one of the things, one of the reasons I love the Ninja Turtles so much, you know, there was the cartoon, which was very sort of colorful and Saturday morning cartoon-esque, and I loved that as a kid. But if you look at the original comic book material, uh, and if you look at some of the, you know, the first two movies, particularly the very first movie from the early 90s, those actually take place in in a, in a New York City that feels very, very sort of gritty and grimy. I mean, they live in the sewers, you know. So, so we definitely want to have uh have a lot of that kind of feel to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Now, there is the you know, so it will I would say, you know, gritty, realistic, but also 
look. Like when you get the four Ninja Turtles together, like there's you know tons of fun banter and back and forth amongst them. So you know I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun as well. I don't think it will be as dark as these Mario shorts. Okay. Well. I, well, I ask because I do remember uh, the original comic books, I think, before it ever came out to, you know, the uh, mm-hmm. Cowabunga pizza-eating yes. cartoon. Yes, exactly. And they, yes. were, they, were, they were some heavy stuff. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty intense, yeah. and we want to make sure that that, that that is being serviced as well because you're right, it did, it did veer into the, into, you know, pizza, pizza eating and, and and uh, yeah. skateboarding and da, 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 da. Uh, yeah. Which, but uh, I, in my opinion, I think at the time I thought it was a little far. I can un, I can appreciate you can't show the the carnage and the killing that was going on in the in the comic books. But uh, yes, yes. Well, but, we're, you know, we're like, definitely going to have you know it's it's going to be a a a you know a big high stakes dangerous mission that the turtles go on. You know for sure. All right. Well, you've got you've got me excited. You've got me excited, and it's Excellent. also good to hear that you're a fan of the shows. And I'm guessing, see, on on the program, we talk a lot about uh, how much of today's pop culture kind of came out of those Saturday mornings as kids. Of course, you'd wait for you know, it was like it's like a kid's happy hour. And then as yes. we grew up, we kind of refused to let go of that. So they came to you know after school cartoons to. Cartoon Network to 24-hour day availability, and now these adult reboots, which I think you yeah. are, you are, you would definitely be considered an expert on those. Right. You know, yes. Bringing kids our power pack, no serious. But Shredder wants it. We must take that power. Yeah. Let me have it. Let's give it to him. Oh, oh the Ninja Mask. Shout out, dudes. It's Crunchy Ninja Nest with Ninja Marshmallows. A power pack crunch. Part of your balanced breakfast. Taste great. Now we crunch you. Turtle power. All right, that was Evan Doherty. Yeah. Uh, really, really talented guy. And I liked those uh, those four-player. That's what the series about mm-hmm. the Mario Brothers things is called, the four-players. Uh, in fact, I think uh, we have links to them up on our site at mattypradio.com. Yep. They're still up there. Um, I'll actually move them around and make them easier for you guys to find. So go to Matty P. Radio. Uh, I'll put it at some, I'll put it at the top of some of the pages. Um, you guys can find them. Um, otherwise, yeah, you can Google them. They're all on YouTube. They're produced by, uh, Polaris, I believe is the name of the company. Uh, Polaris has a site that has a bunch of like these little short, um, films basically. In fact, hell, here's your plug, Polaris. Everybody go to (laughs) Polaris.com. Check check it out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for setting this up, Polaris. Uh, yeah, there's, so this is about Mario, Luigi, Princess Uh, Star, Yep. And Toad. And Toad. Yep. Yeah. And it's a real mature look at these characters. And again, yeah. it's playing on these like archetypes that this is it kind of gives you reason for these characters to be in the position that they are in the video games or whatever. Yeah, he, he put, there's uh I mean there's there's rage, there's yep. I think uh, chemical dependency, mm-hmm. there's loneliness, depression, yeah. a lot of these themes that in very short segments he kind of works in. And if you didn't know going in that this was about the uh the mario brothers characters it might take you a minute to figure it out because yeah. it just they look like 
you know, like previews for very only, adult movies coming out or something. And yeah. they're done really well. And there, as soon as you make that connection, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, there, there's like hints that it's Mario. It's hints that it's Luigi. Mm. You know, like maybe the Mario has a red hat. It's not the traditional Mario hat. And he's got a mustache. It yeah. kind of looks the same, but it, it kind of like does. He's it. a plumber, maybe. Could be. But there's yeah, but there's a lot going on there. It's not the simple the simple eight bit pixels and the fun music anymore. It's and it's it's Evan Doherty, you know, uh, along just like us, knowing that we've grown up. Yeah, and we're gonna take these things with us yeah. into into our adulthood. So uh, we applaud you, Evan, and uh, and and hell, I guess thanks for writing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> yeah, he Mark. I, Mark, what'd you think of it anyway? Well, I mean, honestly, um, you give, know, give I, me a scathing review. Uh, is scathing negative? That's not negative. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to scathe. Oh, okay. I mean, this is scatheless. Um, I I went in there with a real open mind. Um, I wanted a little bit of nostalgia. You know, I wanted to feel that again, and um, you know, I wanted to see a updated version of these guys you know um and it really honestly delivered on all those things you know uh, it's the formula for a good toy slash kids movie is that you have to put something in there for the parents but where this is different is that the parents grew they went through this on their own already a lot of us you know i mean i am 37 now a lot of my classmates have kids you know three or four of them and they're all into toys and stuff so for that for that group of people they get to take their kids their kids are seeing it for the first time they're sitting there kind of going oh yeah i remember that mm-hmm. oh yeah ralphie's the pissed off one yeah. Leonardo's the leader yeah. michelangelo's the joker you know and they kind of do all they, they you could tell that evan doherty was very conscious of this mm-hmm. and he he delivered on that. He gave us, I like to call them Easter eggs, you know, something that an insider would like recognize. It's entertaining for people seeing it for the first time because it's the same magic of turtles that we all know and love. Yeah. And that really confounds us. It shouldn't work. Yet it's oh. perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is. It is a strange phenomenon. How <laughs> this thing really took off. Yeah. And, but it's, it, it really works. Um, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of history to the franchise. Absolutely, absolutely. The only the only thing is, I mean, um, there were some dialogue parts. Obviously, where you know Megan Fox kind of drags it down a little bit. It's not necessarily her fault. I just think the story has to move along, and it, you have to get to Ninja Turtles kicking ass. Mm-hmm. It happens really quick, but you're itching for it the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime there's just yap yap yap. You know, uh, and Whoopi Goldberg's in there for no reason for five minutes. <laughs> get, really? There must be some missing scenes of Whoopi Goldberg because I don't – she just stopped being in the movie. I don't know what happened there. Um, but, no, uh, very, very, very good movie. And I highly recommend it for anybody who's a Turtles fan. I think you cannot go wrong. They did, however, um, I believe – I've seen – I saw the first two. Uh, back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw this one. And this one had a noticeably darker feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, I did not... I I have never read a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic. Mm-hmm. But apparently, that's where, that's, that's where this whole thing started. It, it, w- it was a dark... It was. Brody, it was. You know? There wasn't, uh, you know, the... 
the foot soldiers weren't robots and mm-hmm. they were being dispatched very quickly. They I, killed. I my first introduction was I want to say around eighty six or mm-hmm. so. Uh, a friend of mine stole one of his stepdad's Eastman and Laird original wow. TMNT comic books brought it over to my house uh and this was my introduction it was pretty much my only way in for a long time because poor poor rashid was not able to steal anymore he kept getting <laughs> caught so this was the one it was it was a they they were not huge novel size books but they were good size mm-hmm. self-published or you know independently published right. comics uh black and white but great detail and of course dark themes and the one that i got i was uh, this was uh, this must have been kind of an aberration in the series because it was the turtles on a picnic. They were – I think there was a couple of uh, pages at the beginning where they were in the sewer. But that was my only experience until they became a huge phenomenon that I ever saw them in the sewer dealing with the Foot Clan and, uh, and Shredder. Because the one that I read many, many, many times – the uh, it was uh, April O'Neill and, and Casey Casey Jones took uh, took the turtles out out to uh, upstate New York for a big picnic. It was their big away time, <laughs> okay. so to get out of the city, so they could uh, I don't know have, let their hair down, have a good time. <laughs> Predictably, they run into trouble though. Of course, there's like uh, some kind of a survivalist militia group that they run afoul with out in the woods. And uh, the turtles did not take kindly to them. <laughs> All these guys with their uh, with their automatic weapons uh-huh. and uh, their hoarding and their traps, and they they dispatch of the entire group, and uh, and they they track them down to like their little hideout house where they have a small uh, nuclear weapon, as I recall, and uh, they have to they have to blow it up. <laughs> and there's like, I mean, the at the end wow. they barely get away, and at the end there's a little mushroom cloud up in New York, uh, up upstate New York somewhere. Uh, definitely, definitely wasn't kid fair. Wow, I can see why we had to steal that book in yeah. order to read it back then. And then it was a couple more years until you know, like eighty eight, eighty nine, when the kids version kind of came out. Mm-hmm. When they were, they said we're going to sell toys, so we're going to have to make this a little more mm-hmm. kid friendly. Mm-hmm. We're going to. And as soon as they had the toys made, they said, "Now we need a cartoon in that vein in order to in order to move these." And that was really when the rest of the world got caught up to it. And at that point, I was like, "I'd already seen them do these horrible yeah. things." I, I, and and I'm a few years older. I feel like I'm a little more mature than it was, but I still loved it. I still watched the cartoon. Well, and you could tell like um, that they were still trying to deal. They were, they were still trying to make that balance when they did this new movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Evan Doherty had a lot of um, uh, back and forth with the studio, you know, studio meaning the toy company probably, mm-hmm. you know, in like how do we how do we make this a mature theme? How do we satisfy those diehard original comic readers who are going to come and then we're going to bring their kids? How do we kind of make it all work? And so you'll see moments of real like depth and sadness um, growth within the characters and then at the same time, you just – there's like a poop joke. Um, there's, you know, Shredder who was – the actor that they got, he was, he was excellent. Um, when he like – it was like kind of like a – like when Darth Vader first took off his mask, just kind of all – he was all shredded. He just, yeah. you know, burnt or scarred. Looked great. Great voice. But then, you know, he, he can't just wear a regular ninja suit, you know. He, they put him in like this mechanical computer suit. 
So he had just all these shredders just like coming out of his arms and he was like launching them. They're magnetic. So it's just a lot of like kind of silliness that I thought kind of brought it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all in, you know, it's all for awesome fight scenes, which it did create, yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot of obstacle. Yeah. Um, well, I think, yeah. And this, this movie is, uh, it's, it was being made for the exact same audience that they made the original, the 1990 movie for mm-hmm. only we are that audience and right. we are, you know, 25 years older Absolutely. now. So it's okay to make it a little more. And for the, put enough in there so that you can bring the kids and, and sell toys and, and sell toys and get them hooked on it. But there, there already is another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle show out right. that they made for kids to hook another generation. And the movies based on that, I'm sure will be coming out you know, a little further down the line. This one, I get the impression was still made for us, yeah. for our generation. Absolutely. It's, it, they said it's all right for it to grow up. We'll let Michael Bay do it. We'll blow up a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll spend a lot of money on it because we know you'll come out in droves. It doesn't have to be a Nickelodeon afternoon computer generated. And movie. they really seem to get the one screenwriter that can be trusted, that lived through it, can be trusted to, to mature these, these topics, to, yeah. to mature these properties. Yeah. You know, he, he did it with with the four players with Mario oh. and Luigi and all them. Uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. He did it he did he with did. Snow White. He did it with the Teenage Mutant. And he's he's gonna do it with G.I. Joe. He, yeah, he was, he's he's writing the the he's the, he's one of the writers on the new G.I. Joe, the the third one. Exactly. Hopefully that's gonna get better. Uh the uh he Seven also Dory. did the the uh he adapted the screenplay for Divergent, mm-hmm. a big tween movie yep. that just came out this year. Uh, which is probably going to spawn its own little series, yeah. and hopefully, you know, it'll line his pockets even more. Hopefully. But this is the—he's he, obviously in his wheelhouse right. with this kind of thing. Uh, and I, I will go and see the movie. Well, yeah, even if look, even, even if, if you, you catch it on Netflix it or whatever, review, I, I'm you know. still going to go see it eventually. No, the 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 only bad thing I had one too many poop jokes, no reason for Whoopi Goldberg, and some really slow dialogue at the beginning, but. Megan Fox says it, so who really cares? Ah, so it, so it makes it better. <laughs> yeah, it takes but it, a little bit of the sting out of watching really people talk. Huh? I wasn't expecting, you know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not expecting an Oscar winner here. You know, it's and that's fine. It's it's a again, guys, go go check this out. I thought it was a really great movie. Evan Doherty did a fantastic job. Uh, I cannot say it enough. Um, but it did get me the whole buildup of this. It, I was excited about it. Uh, I knew it was coming. I knew who was starring in it. I knew that it was that it should be taken seriously. There's a lot of money. It's it's going to be awesome. You know, I kind of I kind of had all that, but it also brought out the fact that it has been thirty years. Thirty years. The turtles have been out for thirty years. Thirty years. That's a long time. Most most box turtles, I think, would just about be dying <laughs> yeah. right now. Thirty is is probably pushing it for a small turtle. Yeah. But these guys are going strong. There's and it started you know just as like a like a goof. Between uh, between these two writers, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, back in 1984. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of that, there is another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that, that came just out came this out. week. It just came out this week. And I did see that one. Uh-huh. Uh, it is called Turtle Power, mm-hmm. The Definitive History of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That is that is the entire title. Exactly. I'm is. not trying to uh, to build it up any more than it is. That's what it's called, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's probably not going to you know make the same numbers nope. as the Michael Bay one. But it's still it's it's a documentary that takes us from 
1984 when it first started, the culture that birthed it, and uh, and it follows it throughout. So you can watch and and keep along with how it's grown just in time to go and plunk down your 16 bucks for uh, for this new movie. It it answers the it does answer the question that I had so many years ago. How? What what's all this? What is this? What, <laughs> what, why would sense. you do this? <laughs> so yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. we and we uh, we had the privilege, uh, you and I, of uh, sitting down and talking to Randall Lobb, the uh, director, writer, creator of this new Turtle Power documentary. Uh, I think we should just let him have his say on it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, take us away, Magic Interview Machine. We are talking to uh, Randall Lobb today. Thank you again for joining us uh, about turtle power. And I don't mean just Mm -hmm. the ethereal turtle power, but turtle power, the definitive history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. New documentary out, uh, I believe, on the 12th, tomorrow, as we record this. However, Marky and I were lucky enough to already catch the screening of it. Wow, that took us back. That was awesome. Yeah. So it worked. It worked. (laughs) <laughs> it worked. Yeah, it worked. Yes, if that was your goal, that it, it just totally reminded me of those days when uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were were high up in my personal priority list. When it was, you know, one of my favorite franchises. When it when it represented another world, and I never knew any of the any of the real history until I saw this. I realized. So thank you, Mister Lobb, for doing this for all of us fans. Well, I thank you for being interested in it and for wanting to watch it because we made it for fans. So hearing you say that is immensely rewarding indeed. <laughs> well, good, good. I don't, I don't know if, if you're going to gross the, uh, the same as the other Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie <laughs> coming this weekend, but, but I want you to know you should wait feel a, rewarded. Wait a minute. You mean there was some chance of that? <laughs> Well, well, don't don't rule it out. This is a wide-reaching franchise, uh, and although I guess you don't I, – I watched it from uh, beginning credit to end credit. I didn't see a whole lot of fireballs and explosions and car chases, so you might not have the Michael Bay edge, but don't let that get you down. Listen, there's also a real shortage of Megan Fox. I don't know if you noticed in our documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I did, actually, which I noticed mm-hmm. in almost everything I see on television yeah. and movies now, and it makes me very sad. <laughs> and that, that can explain about 90% of the gross right there. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, I actually got a chance to see her in person at Comic-Con this year. She was about five feet away from me, and there's a radiance there, boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, my Lord. Mm-hmm. Marky stopped, went <laughs> up right up, just <laughs> waiting there. <laughs> I had the good fortune to, to meet her and to talk to her a little bit about the turtle doc. And I'll tell you this. She is a true turtle fan. She is one of the people who loves the turtles forever. And what was interesting to me, yes, she's very beautiful, has beautiful eyes, the bones are all there in the right places and all that, but she's got a real spark in her as someone who who gets it. You know what I mean? That's what hit me. Uh, It just was like talking to any one of the many people we've talked to who love this franchise and and grew up with it. So that was what I really got out of it. I thought, wow, so this is a real person, and she, she's here because she likes it, and that was fun, you know? Uh, and, and see, I, and when you say this, and I didn't really have any doubt, I think, especially after seeing the movie, but you are obviously a fan yourself. 
You didn't just say, I want to make a movie about a documentary about something that's culturally important. Uh, let's pick something out of the hat. As a matter of fact, I did start that way. Oh, <laughs> um, God. Again, Grimshay gets around. Guilty as charged. Um, my partner, Mark Hussey, and myself are filmmakers, and, and I am very much interested in pop culture, and I was very much aware of the Turtles from 1984. And then after 1984, it wasn't really on my radar anymore. I mean, I, if I could have told you quite a bit about, you know, how it worked out. I, I knew about it just from being a student of pop culture, but I wasn't a Turtle fan per se, and it was Isaac Elliott Fisher, a young DP, a cinematographer with whom we'd worked on other projects. He approached us and said, this is what I want to do. This is what we need to do. You need to help me. And he wanted to, not to take away from him, but he wanted to upgrade it. And he's half our age. I'm sure he looked at us and thought we gave him a certain amount of gravitas that he wasn't able to muster up on his own because it would have been him by himself as a Turtle fan. And, you know, you could get put into a box in that situation. So by approaching us, he thought, here he's got the, the front end of this, you know, pair of all guys. And <clears throat> my partner is all about post-production and I'm a writer and director, I'm about pre-production, and I do all the, you know, kind of the negotiating and convincing and cajoling and sort of the interacting with the world to try and make the world fit what we need it to fit in order to do this. And to be honest, when I started, my first reaction was no. Not because I didn't like it, but because I thought this will be a very, very difficult process. And clearances and licenses and titles and people and money and spending and traveling. And it ended up that everything I was worried about was true and then some. <laughs> but I became a fan from the inside out. So imagine not being a Turtle fan, but meeting Kevin and becoming a Kevin fan. And then learning about the Turtles. Or not really being a Turtle fan and meeting Brian Henson and in Charlie Chaplin's office and knowing everything that you could possibly know about Henson through, you know, a childhood of growing up in North America and meeting, we could just keep ticking them off, meeting Fred Wolf, not really being, you know, cognizant of the series as a, as a viewer, but coming to the series then by having met all the voice cast and getting to know them over many, you know, different iterations of trying to shoot this and get this interview. You know, we became very friendly with Rob and, and I met him several times, and having them together at that reunion, they hadn't seen each other in 20 years. So here I was coming to the Turtles from the inside, and I'm not going to lie, I only, towards the end of the five-year process, could say which turtle was which color without getting mixed up. <laughs> because I didn't well, come uh, to it um, as a viewer. Uh, what is your age bracket? Are you 35 to 40, 40 to 45, or earlier than that? I'm 49 years old. That's see, um, which which explains this because well, yes, because I am in the 35 to 40 range. Okay, now, I'm yeah. in the middle of that. Okay, and I was just the right age to be coming out of buying toys. Like I, I was fighting the urge to buy toys. Yet there was this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toy that everybody loved. There was a cartoon show that was on. There were uh, VHS tapes, and I found it incredibly hard to not love it. You know, I fought mm -hmm. it tooth and nail 
uh, and I could not stop myself from being a part of the teenage mutant. You know, it was it was mostly like, oh, that's so stupid. Teenage mutant ninja turtles doesn't make any sense, but it's brilliant. And so I got swept oh, up in it. It's so high concept. I yep. agree with you. There's no there's no way to argue with it. But imagine coming into it by meeting all these people, and they are. I'm not saying this to slap anyone's back. They are awesome people. They're all nice. They're all friendly. They're all good. And so, you know, you get pulled in. And my turtles are black and white, right? Those are the turtles that I know. So the very concept of how it spun and twisted, I learned as the story goes. So some of the people who watch the doc say, boy, it feels so organic. It feels like a process. You can really feel the people in it. It doesn't feel like we're hitting boxes and just kind of, you know, yep, satisfied, moving on. It's because I'm learning as we go as the writer-director. Now, Isaac Elliott Fisher, the cinematographer, he's beside me sitting in the camera, and he knows what he wants to hear as a fan. So here's me going through this process of discovery that's very organic and very roots up. We're getting these nice answers, and then... Every so often, he'll bang his arm into me, and then I'll go, and Isaac has a question, and he asks that fan question, you know, mm-hmm. that he already knows the answer to. So that makes for a real nice push-pull. It's, I, I think what you're seeing wouldn't have been as rich or, let's say, as, it wouldn't have been as textured if I was a lifer because I would have come in knowing too much, you know? Well, at, at – in the end, uh, after you know you've got your 150 plus hours of footage and you've got to turn it into a 90 odd minute documentary, <laughs> how much of yeah. the fan questions ended up as as opposed to just kind of the natural "tell me what was happening" questions that you were doing? Well, what ended up happening was the fan questions we tried to put in there by showing. You know what I mean? Like we wanted to show the answer to the fan question, not necessarily have someone answer. You know, no detraction on Kevin and Peter. Love them both dearly. But they've answered some questions so many times that they go into uh, a kind of mode where they are saying something like, and now we go into this, and they even get a kind of a sing-song. And you have to put some of that in. Some of that is in here. So the challenge becomes to not just allow it to get into that mode. So you ask people questions that are sort of surprising, like where did the cowabunga come from? That was a big, you know, many people knew about it. We wanted to sort of hear some of the story and then show it. You know what I mean? Like you want to, you want the fans to see the answer, not necessarily hear the answer as though it was, you know, a nakedly asked question. Does that sort of cover what you mean? Yeah, you were... You were actually answering the question before they asked the question. You were making your presentation. You were holding questions till the end <laughs> so that they didn't have any, uh, basically. However, I do have two questions. Cool thing. Yes. Yeah. I, there was a couple of things that I, was, that I was waiting for, and I'd like to know why there – or I, maybe I missed it. But why there was no mention – why was there no mention of Corey Feldman being in the, in the, in the film? And then secondly – why was there no mention of Vanilla Ice in the second one? Because, you know, that was, it was yeah. incredible being a part of that at the time. I reached out to both of them in the best ways that I could, and it wasn't happening. It just was, there was no way to make that work. So I thought, if we bring them up, 
and we don't have them, we're in a situation. Uh, you know uh, what I mean? I see. The, the economy, yeah. the, the, the way, economics of filmmaking. Yeah. Yes, and, and not just economics, although that did play a part too. I mean, it was more like, you know, for me, Vanilla Ice would have been great, and I maybe could have got him very, very late, but by then we were already delivering a film. So you, you end up in a calculus that is it's frustrating. You know, you, Like I wanted Seth Green really badly because Seth Green is a real important pop culture voice. And by the way, he ends up being in the Nickelodeon version. Mm-hmm. So our desire to get him would have been even better. It just couldn't happen. I wanted to get Kevin Smith. You want to get names who are pulling something with them, right, who have some, some attractor. We call them high-value targets. We wanted to put them in. And everyone that we didn't have, if we mentioned, I wanted Elias Coteas very badly, Casey Jones, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just I didn't even want to bring them up if we couldn't roll them through because it would have been so frustrating. And it would have looked like some of those documentaries where you Ken Burns across a picture of somebody and then refer to them. And I, I thought, we can't do that. In this, we tried to make so, it more about well, what you actually see. I'm glad, and and uh, one thing that I really liked about the movie that you know took me by surprise, but also I think you're right. The, some names that brought their own gravity to it that I was completely unaware of, specifically uh, <laughs> Robert Ben Garant and Michael Ian Black, as a couple of so, the performers dressed up in turtle suits before the stage. What about Chuck? I had no idea. Chuck that Lurie was, was a part of it. Chuck Lorre again. See, I'm a huge comedy nerd, like absolutely deep bones as a comedy nerd. And finding out that two founders of the state are in there, like that's <laughs> yeah. mental. I couldn't wrap my head, you know. Yeah, well, and you and then you got them on film. Well, how how hard was that to get them to sit down and talk about something they did, you know, 20 years ago? Yeah, it wasn't hard. It, I mean, it took to make this movie. You have to leverage a bunch of skills, some of which you can't have predicted that you would need to use. One that I knew I would need to use is the same skill I had to use to get my wife to marry me. It's this (laughs) idea that I am going to try and get people. No, I don't drink. I can't even lean on that. And I'm not a Mormon. I had to use, basically, I just had to use every conceivable means of of creating value, showing that, that we brought value, and then fast-talking, clever-talking, super-friendly. Like, we interviewed those two guys in their homes. Think about that. Hmm. They let us into their homes. Oh, that's, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, very, well, and, very surprising. Well, and, and, you know, they didn't seem at all to be embarrassed about it. You know, that, and this is probably They're one of their early jobs. Thankful. Yeah. First job. Wow. Well, and then um, it was surprising to learn that Chuck Lorre was a part of the original theme song, which we I could sing for you. I'm not going to, but I could sing it for you. And this guy owns TV now. We theme song in the documentary. That's actually us doing it because we couldn't get the complete rights. (laughs) You didn't even know that. Economy of filmmaking. No. no, I didn't. I couldn't even tell. In fact, you might yeah. still be open to a lawsuit. It was very good. <laughs> Actually, no, I no, probably no. couldn't we, hear we you because I was singing it with you. 
Yeah, All Chuck right, well. Lorre, um, if you want to just – here's a little insider baseball for you. Chuck Lorre, he's doing okay from a financial perspective based on some of the shows he's got his hands in. I would imagine Chuck Lorre could buy any conceivable thing that you and I and your buddy there that we could dream up, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, Nickelodeon wanted that theme song, Who Did They Have to Pay? Chuck yeah, Lorre. And do you suppose he made it easy for them? I can't (laughs) guess that he did. I don't know for a fact. What else is he doing with it? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe just just my positive side saying, I hope it didn't make it very hard. It's probably in his elevator in his house. That's what they play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he actually has actual people in turtle suits singing it to him in his house. <laughs> it, it's so funny to me how much it takes you back. And being a part of this film, uh, you know, and I felt like I was a part of it, not merely watching it. Like, I I, I was awesome. I was a part of this. Uh, it's it was, it was an organic thing. Uh, both Grimm and I watched this movie with a friend of ours who's in your age bracket. You know, he's in that 45 it's to 50 man. area. He's an old man, and he watched it with us, and of course he knows who the Turtles are. Everybody knows who they are, but he didn't know them intimately yeah. like we do. And he watched this film with us, and he goes, damn, I, I had no idea how interesting that was. You know, he just, it just blew him away. He, he enjoyed watching this movie without the emotional attachment that I had or that, or that Grimm had. Well, I think it, it's tempered for, uh, you know, I think you and I, Marky, just happen to be just that age. I think it was 1986 or so, when I was about nine years old, a friend of mine brought over one of the original, the black and white, uh, super violent, original, you know, Eastman and Laird, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. Oh, and yeah. that was, I had never heard of them before, and I read that thing cover to cover mm-hmm. multiple times. Um he never he was never able to steal another one from his stepdad without getting caught. <laughs> so that was my only one for quite some time. Uh but then it took about you know, another four or five years before the movie came out, before it was the cartoon and the video game, and by that time it had been not dumbed down, but made much more child friendly. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, when I was nine I probably should have yeah. been exploring that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle world. But the one I already knew was the the darker more adult one so by the time the yeah, younger stuff too. came out i said well obviously i've outgrown this mm-hmm. but i still liked it i still felt a part of it but it Here's was it was I never my gi joe friday I, I saw the movie on friday and to me the same thing applies there the ideas are are crazy and wacky and the, the action is good and all that but the point is it's supposed to be funny right so funny works no matter what your age is i think Oh, it it better, or you're not watching it right. Well, yeah. but, um, so yeah, that's my theory. Well, well, we also grew up when you know, I did even when I was a little kid. I was watching Terminator, Rambo, <laughs> you know, missing in action movies. You know, so I was always ready for this, even at that like young age, and I could have taken kind of any version of the of the turtles. It, it was. It, it, again, I just fought it as much as possible, and I just couldn't help but get involved with it and well, really just mm-hmm. – There's a central theme that I think ties every iteration of the Turtles together, and that's kind of that outsider family exactly. dynamic that the four of them exactly. have each other and Splinter, 
And that has been the constant throughout the various, you know, between Archie and Eastman and Laird, self-publishing, the comics, even the video games. That's always been something. And that's what everybody can relate to. And that might be that magic mm-hmm. spark that was in the concept from Agreed. the beginning. Uh, there, there was this agree. article. Um, I don't. Uh, you were at the Comic Con this uh, this year in San Diego, right? Yes, sir. Okay. I don't know if you got a chance to read some of the articles in the souvenir guide, um, but uh, one of the fellows there wrote. Um, he he wrote this article about what the turtles kind of meant to him. They always do this for the souvenir guide. It's always some an- anniversary. There's a lot of Batman. He's 75 years. Uh, there's Iron, there's uh, Iron Man. I th- uh, the Daredevil is 50 years old, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are 30 years old. So there's a lot of articles about them. One of the guys um, wrote about how he was from an abusive, dysfunctional family, and it wasn't until he just he came across the Turtles that he had something to connect with his classmates with. You know, because everybody liked the Turtles, so it gave him it gave him this outsider. You know, this wallflower, something yeah, to connect sure. to the larger world. And he felt that he attributed his success now in life and his ability to be a good father now in life to the fact that he fell in love with this ridiculous story. Um, mm-hmm. It, it kind of it goes to its overall impact of the world. Um, did you feel that when you took on this responsibility, did you know that it was this important to people? I mean, I did because our our DP made it very clear. He let me know. Like, I sort of was front-loaded that part of it first, and then it became more a function of every every piece that you peel back of this onion, you, you see deeper and deeper and deeper. And right away, we interviewed a couple of the, the super fans or the so-called super fans, and hearing their stories made it, you know, even more present. You realize, okay, this isn't just, you know, for me, let's say something like, I don't know, Underdog. Do you remember Underdog? Oh, yeah. Oh, very well. Which was, yeah, so, like, that's just something you enjoyed and you saw and you might have had a, a, a little toy or something. And the Turtles wasn't just that. This was more up there with, like, a Bugs Bunny or a Flintstones. This is this is something that's deep that people have a really serious relationship with. So that, that, that was made very clear very soon. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's get right to it. The, uh, the, uh, the nitty gritty here that uh, I want to sensationally, sensationalistically ask you about, there was, especially towards the end, a sort of allusion to uh, uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird having a tension, you know, kept them apart for uh-huh. a couple of decades. It wasn't really, you know, there was a kind of poignant conclusion about it almost immediately, right, right as the credits rolled. But it didn't really mm-hmm. take us into it. It didn't give us that movie of the week. That's right. You know, uh, voyeuristic what look into it. Why not? Yeah. Why won't you give us that? Make it salacious. Right. Well, you might notice that we had footage that was so insider that, you know, you like you see Kevin and Peter's, home movies, right? Mm-hmm. When someone Lots of it, takes, when someone when someone takes you into their lives like that, you have I felt that we had a responsibility to be respectful of of their privacy even as we were sifting through their underwear drawers. So mm. there was a very serious um, 
there was a serious attempt immediately for me to want to tell a very positive story. It would be obvious that you could talk about any kind of, you know, rift in the partnership. But then that, whatever the, the reason was, it would be the most obvious reason, right, for me. Like the reasons why people get divorced are almost always the same thing. The reasons why partnerships break up are almost always the same thing. So as a guy who does not like reality TV, does not watch reality TV, I wanted to tell a positive story. Mark and Isaac agreed. Peter and Kevin, once they saw that and they respected the vision that we had, they opened themselves to us and their hearts to us and their treasure troves of, of stuff. And we were able to shoot, you know, their reconciliation such as it was without really going into that. You saw just a taste of it as they let it out. And that's really how it was. We never talked about it with them. To this day, I don't know what happened and I've never asked. Mm-hmm. I guess it would have to be a completely different movie to, to get into that story probably. And they would... It shouldn't taint our, our image no of the question. turtles. Oh, a hundred percent. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for making this movie, and thank you for finally becoming a proper turtles fan. <laughs> and turtle power, Randall. Uh, turtle <laughs> power. Well, thanks to you as well. I, I've enjoyed talking to you, and I appreciate that you said good things about it. So very, very nice to hear. Now you're finished. Shredder and his henchman mutagen man with the floating gut have captured two of the turtle's friends, Napoleon Bonafrog, a real horned toad, and Ray Filet, the color mutating mutant. Oh no, they're going to cover them with retro mutagen ooze. Wow, what hit them? Why, it's Panda Con, the turtle's samurai buddy. Thought you said they were finished, Shredder. No, I lied. From Playmate. All right, Randall Law. Uh-huh. He, uh... He he started not knowing a whole lot yeah. about the Ninja Turtles, and now he probably knows more than any of us. As he should. I think it took him four years. Some ungodly amount of to time put like this that. Thing together, yeah. To get all those people together. And apparently the uh, Laird and um, uh, Eastman. Eastman, I guess they were fighting. You know, That's for funny. whatever whatever drives successful partnerships apart. They, that obviously that, happened. That, yeah, must have. Yeah. Uh, success. It's a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, uh, it's a very, very good documentary. This thing deserves a, a spot at the public library shelf. I mean, it's this is the history. Uh, when when I first got um, when when my interest in the turtles got renewed, I wanted to kind of I wanted to know what the story was behind its creation, you know, and hell, if I, I attended the uh, Comic Con panel where. Um, Eastman was there. Mm-hmm. He told the story. Um, it was presented in the film, and just base my my version of it, my retelling of it is basically these two guys. They're like lobster cooks. They're cooking lobsters in Maine. That's what they're. That's what pays the bills. They're trying to get a comic book together. Talented guys like each other right away. They're kind of stumped. They had a comic that didn't go so well. They're they're like working on other ones. In a moment of desperation, frustration, he kind of just whips a drawing out, which I will post on the website. And he shows it to Laird, and he goes, there it is, a Ninja Turtle. Mm-hmm. And it's a throwaway. It's a joke. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> how brilliant this pair was 
uh, Laird just looks at it and he goes, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And it sparks an $80 million film just this weekend, multi-million dollar toys, television, movies. Yeah, millions of fans and billions of dollars later. Here we are, 30 years, we're still talking about it. Yeah. Uh, So obviously he... You know, when when uh, Randall Lobb decided he was going to make a documentary about the turtles, he knew what he was doing then. At yeah. Least, even yeah. if he learned all the history as he went. Yeah. And it's a hard way to make someone a fan of your work, but it sure is effective, I have a feeling. Yeah, and he, he did a great job. And, you know, there was a little bit uh, – he, he took an academic approach to it, I think. You could tell that he didn't live through it, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. those of us that live through it uh, – Having Corey Feldman in the original movie was a big deal. Yeah. You know, um, having Vanilla Ice in the sequel, <laughs> in the original sequel. Yeah. At the time, these are two very big names. Very big names. They you brought know. them into the film you know, to yeah. help sell it. And, and uh, yeah, he didn't he, – well, you know, you talked to him about it in the interview, and I, he defended himself. It, it, it was I a think. creative but choice. The, uh, I mean, that's – you know, he he stuck to but his But you're theme. right. He's uh, – well, he's, he's older than we are. He right. was – you know, he said he was aware of it in the 80s as a comic book, mm-hmm. but that's kind of where it ended. And if we had been a few years older, right. we could have gone out in the mid-80s, bought the comic book, and then kind of lost interest, you know, given up on buying toys, watching cartoons. But we were just the right age to where we we didn't even have to wait till the 90s as little kids to get into the show and the toys. We knew about it, and we were fans you know, yeah, from well, the get-go, just right. barely caught the tail end. We were at the tail end you know, of that age group. Demographically speaking, exactly. yeah. And, you know, we were at the age where we were getting ourselves to the movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were going. A lot of us were like, all you know, even if we were slightly outside of that age group, um, this movie was validated by Corey Feldman providing one of the voices. You know, pretty much the act, all the other actors, yeah, you know, to you a know, degree, to a degree. He does. You, I know it's easy to make fun of this guy, but he's a he's a Hollywood institution on his own. The guy who's been in mega million dollar movies, you know, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, say what you will. But anyway, he was in it um, that legitimized the film. And then the sequel, just to show you uh, how popular it was. Brought in Vanilla Ice, who not only provided uh, uh, some of the soundtrack, but he was literally in the movie. Like, he was part of, like, the last scene where the turtles came in, and I believe they break out and dance uh, kind of goofingly. Yeah. Well, I think, that, um, yeah, they run into, like, a dance club or something. Yeah. Vanilla yeah. Ice happens to be performing, and that's about But it was a big deal is what I'm trying to say. It was a big deal at the time. Um, and so, you know, eh, I think could have put it in the movie a little bit. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but it was really good. <laughs> all right. Well, we have, we have certainly talked the hell out of these heroes on a half shell. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think we've learned a couple of things. Mm-hmm. We've learned that uh, this is one of the first properties to to attempt to grow itself right alongside us. Yeah. To go from it just instead of just being, you know, Scooby-Doo. It's just going to be Scooby-Doo forever. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can get a computer animated Scooby and some... And some young stars to dress up and do a movie about it, but it's not going to change the tone, right? Of by any by any leap by any measure, Scooby Doo always going to be Scooby Doo. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles kind of have been on a journey with us, mm-hmm. and they made this last movie for us. I believe it. So yeah. I'm not going to pay to see it. I think it was made for me. 
you mean? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait until they just deliver it to me. They have eighty million. They got another ten, twenty million to go. They'll make their money back. Then they're gonna sell the DVDs. It's gonna be on TV. They really don't need your ticket money. That's 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 my thinking. Yeah. Yep. You're gonna they're gonna be just fine. <laughs> All the toys are gonna sell. They're they already they already greenlit a sequel. I'm not surprised at all. It's already coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this, you cannot stop this turtle train. No, no, you cannot. Uh, and I, I think the chief reason for that is there's a theme that runs throughout this franchise. You know, through all of its changes and iterations and growth over the last three decades, there is a theme of community of acceptance that that is so central to our giant sprawling geek culture now uh you know it it started out as as just a couple of down on their luck comic fans wannabe writers who had this loving parody like a tribute to all the popular kind of comic ideas you know ninjas and mutants uh make them an animal and call them teenage and and you got you, you just got a template for a character there but they crafted it with so much love and 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 they they pull out the idea that these these four turtles are different from this world that they love so much they don't really belong to it they have to live in a sewer uh they have to put on costumes when they go out and walk amongst the other people and at some point especially in adolescence we've all felt like that so the idea that these four turtles do have each other just like all of us comic fans have each other all of us movie fans can relate on that level and that's a a, a cultural community and that's i think what the show is all about and that's why that's why we respond so well you know as a modern pop culture society to this franchise to this idea and and it has responded right back to us by growing and changing and yeah, maybe in 30 more years we're going to see some geriatric turtles. It's unlikely, but uh, I wouldn't rule it out because of everything that's come this far. And uh, and that's that's why we watch. That's why we're fans. And that's also what made uh, Eastman and Laird all their money. So keep that in mind, struggling comic book writing wannabes, because that's one to grow on, you bastards. All right, on that note, turtle power, everybody. Turtle power. Excellent. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, don't let your own personal shredder keep you down. You keep on fighting. Keep on fighting. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Oh, this is enough of this. <laughs>